0: Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality. With a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude towards religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, Planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bass.
1: When I was growing up, professional athletes were a little less professional than today. TV cameras and interviews after the game often included, hi mom, and thanks to their parents for getting them to that success point. Well, back then I found it a bit annoying, where now I miss the innocence and authenticity of it all. Having done this show for the past year, I've been surprised by how many of our guests end up talking about their parents. And particularly when we get into deeper issues, my mother died shortly after I turned three years old. My father died when I was only 22, and I felt handicapped in a way in life. I couldn't take my wife-to-be to meet my dad, and it would have showed her a lot about me. I love my dad, but his failings and flaws impacted me for years into the future. In fact, really even they still do. When a new baby comes into the world, It's common for the adoring family and close friends to make comments about how they have physical attributes of the mother or the father. I find it ridiculous, impossible to discern, and as reliable as your daily horoscope. But as life goes on, often the genetic and character traits passed on from parent to child are undeniable. Parents teach us what we should be like and model for us how to navigate this world with varying degrees of success. So, what do you do when that thing called nuclear family betrays you, dies, gives you up for adoption, turns to booze, or just flakes in the myriad of other ways possible? What is it like to live life trying to fill out a form that asks your father's name and you don't know the answer? We've all seen the TV shows of adopted children becoming adults and going in search of their biological parents. They're gut-wrenching or... They emit heartwarming conclusions with that are much rarer than I'm guessing is what's found on the editing room floor. So where would one go to find such stories? Well, certainly jails and prisons would be a place to start. The reality is one wouldn't need to go there or even just listen to the people around you when they begin talking about their families, strange and unique combinations of people, betrayal and heartbreak lurk beneath the surface. So today, we have a local business banker in Orange County. Need a business loan? He's your man. He's a great father to two handsome teenage boys active in his church. So let's just open the phone line and ask him about family. Welcome to Church Hurts and Tim Dyson.
2: I thank you for having me.
1: Tim, we're going to be talking about family, but I'd like to start, but just give us an elevator speech of your life today. What do you do, kids, that kind of thing?
2: Well, as a commercial banker for uh, one of the big three banks in, uh, in the world, uh, I help small business owners uh, achieve their goals. Uh, rather, it be through commercial real estate, typical business banking, merchant services, payroll, and I work out of my house like the rest of the world right now through quarantine, but uh, I get to visit my clients uh, sometimes and look forward to getting back out there to see them again. I'm a father of two uh, teenage boys, Uh, they're athletes, and I just enjoy that time with them.
1: So if you would, um, your story is just so amazing in a lot of ways, but um, There is one fact that I have a hard time getting my brain around. Would you, would you tell me how many children your grandmother had?
2: So my grandmother uh, had 23 children. Uh, 18 of them lived in a small little town in Southern Maryland near the Naval base. And she had a big family and a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and, and so on. So,
1: and you can't name them all. You can't name all your aunts and uncles on top of your head, can you?
2: Oh no way! I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. But they could. You know, their siblings can do that. So it's kind of cool.
1: Tell me, what are your earliest memories of family? Your childhood home? What 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 kind of thing comes to your mind when you think of your earliest earliest thoughts?
2: I would I would definitely say you know you know meals were always great at my my grandmothers because we ate in shifts. But those were times that I actually got to see my biological mother, uh, aunts and uncles that would come into town. I would say, you know, those are those are the, the earliest memories that I, that I have uh, of family. And I didn't really have uh, – I didn't start out at my grandmother's house. I started out with a family before that that were – Just a nice family that took me in when my mother gave me up. And my grandmother eventually took me in because they were moving uh, to California and she wanted me to stay with the family.
1: To your knowledge, from the youngest age, you were kind of thrown into the foster care system in Maryland, right?
2: Yeah, I was in uh, from, I think, three years old on.
1: Sometimes you'd come back to your grandmothers. um, From what you tell me, it's kind of like you don't know how many families you were with or do you?
2: Uh, I was told I was with one family from birth till age three, then my grandmothers after that. And then from there, uh, juvenile hall and foster homes.
1: Well, tell me about this, because this part just kind of makes me squirm, but you know, I grew up hearing all the time, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, (laughs) not because my parents were particularly religious, simply because everybody said that when they had the excuse and we had a fraternity paddle in our home and sometimes I'd get a wooden spoon, but your, your grandmother was even a little bit more old school than that. Wasn't she?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, growing up, I don't know if you've ever seen the bill Cosby comedy that talked about, there would be beatings tonight. Uh, And pretty regularly, I would say daily, Uh, we would uh, get beaten for whatever reasons, for sometimes just being kids, but switches, anything that she could get her hand on, uh, rolling pin, broomstick, you know, shoe, you know, that's a common one. But uh, yeah, that, that was a very common practice.
1: And so one night, I'm told, you told me you were locked in your room and actually they had a latch on the outside of the room so they could lock you in and you just decided you had had enough. Tell me about that night. How old were you?
2: I was 10 years old. Uh, I had gotten beaten that night um, with a broomstick. And I had a hole in my back and, uh, you know, we were locked in our rooms every night. And that night I, I knew how to get out. You know, I always kept a piece of paper and I could slide it through and and uh, get out of there. But uh, I did run away that night. The first place I thought of to go to was the hospital. So I went 10 miles, uh, ran, walked, stole a bike, got chased by bats and dogs all the way. But I made it to the hospital and was scared because I didn't want my grandmother to get in trouble, but I wanted to be fixed, you know, with this hole in my back. But I walked in, I was scared and I ran out of there and went to the social services office where my, uh, social worker, uh, Wayne guy was. And, uh, they took me in, uh, got there probably around six in the six in the morning and they took me in and fed me and clothed me and eventually took me back to my grandmothers. So you're
1: back at your grandmother's and I don't think anybody's going to be surprised that you started acting out a little bit and, uh, uh, that you ended, ended up in Juvie. What's what Juvie and how
2: did you get there? You know, again, yeah, I did rebel quite a bit. I uh, started just leaving the house and I would run with the wrong crowds. And, uh, you know, I'd steal to make money, sell clothes or what have you. And one night I was driving a friend's Fiero <laughs> and I didn't know how to drive. And I jumped the curve and the police officer was right behind me and they took me, to, took me to jail, and I ended up in Juvenile Hall off and on for a year, year and a half. Uh, so you were, dri- you were driving was, at what
1: age? What age were you, Tim?
2: Probably 11, 11, <laughs> yeah, about 11 or 12. <laughs> and uh, Juvenile Hall was no no play- playground, a bunch of uh, gang members, uh, so you had to fight pretty often to survive, fight for your food fight to protect yourself in the bathroom and the showers and, uh, yeah, no, no real picnic there,
1: <laughs> man. I mean, you're, you know, your story is pretty dark. Um, at this point, it, it's not a lot of bright lights and laughter, but uh, some good news came for you when you were in juvie and you were going to get out you had an option. I don't know if you had an option, but they, they sent you to a group home. What's a group home? And tell me about Rudy and Jamie.
2: Okay. Uh, so the option was to, um, they gave me an option, which was either to go back home to my family's or to go to a group home. I chose the group home. And the group home was ran by Jamie and Rudy Palmer, Palmer who are both deceased now, but fantastic people, Christian folks that had about 11 boys in the home, from all over, you know, Maryland. One of the rules at Jamie and Rudy Palmer's house was that in order to uh, stay there is that you had to go to church. So we went to a small church and a high school that was probably 10, 15 miles away.
1: Well, with that little bit of good news, let me just take a break for a moment and say um, that I work for Standing Stone, which is a ministry that, really helps the frontline workers in church ministry and uh, confront some of the difficult issues that we talk about here on Church Hurts and. If you have a chance, would you come visit um, us? And if you'd consider even supporting us, just go to churchhurtsand.org and and you can find out how and more about what we do on this show, um, as well as look back at some of our other shows. Today, as we talk about family, you might want to check out the show we did with P. Alwinson and, and talked about uh, fathers and, and that's effect on uh, people in the church and outside the church. But with that, Tim, let, let's pick up. So here you are about what age are you thinking uh, that you're being dragged with 10 other kids who've been in trouble with the law too, right? This was their peers, uh,
2: not all in trouble with the law. They just didn't have their families were drunks or drug addicts or, you know, nobody could care for them. So, I'm probably about uh, 13, 13 and a half, maybe, when I first and, went there.
1: And they take you into this uh, church. Um, was it a black church, white church? What was it like?
2: Uh, so in that town, uh, primarily uh, it was predominantly uh, Caucasian. There, there were pockets of African-Americans, um, and the church was all Caucasian. There was probably four or five boys in the group home that were african American. And the rest were Caucasian. So,
1: and so, I'm told you you loved kids, and you got you found a way to get out of church at uh, at 13 years old. How did you get out of the <laughs> out of going to the church service?
2: Well, we would file in, and we would sit pretty close to the stage. And this pastor was so boring. Um, you know, I, they said they needed help. They would make announcements. Um, he's talking about things like sanctification. At, 13, 14, I don't know what that means. So they said that we need volunteers in the kids room. And I said, heck yeah, get me out of here. I'll go in there and try to give them the love that I didn't receive as a kid. This went on for how long, a couple years? So the group home, the, the, so the state of, at least the state of Maryland, their goal is always to get you back to your biological family within a year. So I was in the group home for about a year Uh, and then, you know, I knew time was coming for me to go and I began to rebel again. So
1: ended up, you ended up in another foster home. Tell me about what was that like? Now you're going from kind of at least a loving group home, but you have to leave because you're actually too good. So you end up in this, in this new home and they have a couple of the kids that you were with in the nursery from those early days. Who were they?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, one of the kids, the little boy's name's Johnny, and his sister' name was Kate. And for some reason, I just gravitated to them. They were just, you know, we look forward to seeing each other every Sunday. And, and I believe that the the director of the group home had talked to the pastor of the church and said, "Hey, this guy, you know, he's about to leave, and he doesn't really want to go." And the pastor. Talked to his wife and they came to the group home to visit me on Christmas. They brought me a lands in tie and a shirt I still have today. And, uh, they decided to take me in, and live with them. And so that was pretty exciting for me because again, I got another, another fresh start.
1: Tell me about the, the first week in the home, because here you are in this pastor's home now. What happened with the race issue? I mean, was that a clash of cultures? What happened?
2: Uh, culturally wise, you know, I had been in the group home before, so I'd been around Caucasian folks. Uh, my grandmother was a matriarch of the city and where we live. And I, I was pretty comfortable with Caucasian folks. And so, you know, living in the house was a little bit different. The first week, my mom, my foster mom, I call her mom now, she took me to the grocery store to find out the things that I would like to eat, and the first thing that I bought was hot sauce. And then I noticed her eating raw hamburger meat, and that freaked me out. <laughs> uh, so that was a little different. Uh, that was a different, uh, different uh, clash of cultures there for me. <laughs>
1: So tell me, um, everything didn't just become your life just straightened out, did it? I mean, the, the police came knocking one day. What, what happened with that?
2: Uh, one of my, one of my good friends, uh, well, yeah, we, we went to spring break together, but, uh, in front of a Seven Eleven, I socked him out <laughs> and, uh, I figured I'd just leave and go home and I did. Mm. And the police came knocking, <laughs> uh, so my my mom and dad got to deal with that as their first experience in an all Caucasian neighborhood. You never saw the cops, <laughs> uh, but they did that day. And I hear
1: that your new dad, that somehow you couldn't figure out why, but he he seemed to have a plan for your life, which told you somehow he must care about me if he has this plan. And you didn't understand it. What was that plan?
2: Well, all my life I had had, you know, people that said they care about me and treated me in, in bad ways. And it was never consistent. But the one consistent thing that I had next to Jamie and Rudy being in the in the group home was living in the pastor's house, you know, and, and, and his wife. And, you know, they made sure that I went to school. They made sure that I did well in school. And I didn't initially until... You know, dad fought and fought and fought and fought to get me moved up to honors and AP classes, and I aced them all. You know, I remember my graduation from high school. I didn't want to go anywhere. You know, it was an accomplishment that I never thought we'd have, that I'd have. And, you know, my dad and I went to McDonald's. He didn't give me anything uh, in terms of great wisdom other than that day. He said, this is the first step uh and embedded college into my brain. So hmm.
1: what other things? Were there anything else a part of part of the plan that uh surprised you?
2: Um I just didn't the consistency of checking, you know, I tell my kids now, you know, I inspect what I expect. You know, so you know, education was was important. It was a key to to opening as many doors. One of the things you know, dad would say is like, you get as, as many things on your plate as you can. And that way you can choose from, you know, whatever it is that you'd like. Um, but if you don't have anything on your plate, you don't have any options. So, you know, that was something that, you know, really stuck with me as well.
1: Kind of just to transition a little bit in terms of wisdom you might have, for so many people who've been adopted or who have mixed family, um, confused family backgrounds like this, struggle even into adulthood. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you told me you kept your clothes in a garbage bag even when you moved into that foster home for a year. Uh, you were just waiting to be turned over again. And then soon you were an adult you know, what kind of, what kind of issues did you still take on into adulthood, still having those questions about family?
2: Uh, Abandonment was, you know, a big concern, but I didn't realize it then until adulthood. You know, I felt like people said they loved you, but they really didn't show it. Um, So, yeah, I did live in uh, garbage bags, uh, even at my new mom and dad's house uh, for a year. I just figured that after a year I'd move on. So in my adulthood, abandonment, you know, I would get into relationships, do something stupid, as I often did as a kid, get abandoned, and then repeat the cycle over and over again, which led to trying to numb that pain with alcohol and drugs and, and women, and just doing whatever I could to try to solve this void of, not knowing a whole lot about who my mother was or who the people that had me, it was just a vicious cycle that I repeated over and over again, even while being successful and working with many uh, businesses, uh, different businesses in, in in California.
1: So, in your family, I'm taking it was a big deal for you to graduate high school. Obviously, you're a banker. You've graduated from college. You know, it's, I I just spiritually, you're on church hurts and so there, I have to just ask the question, how does God play into that struggle? You went through some wild things, still processing this stuff as an adult, you know, where does faith, church, all that come in?
2: Hmm. So something I always tell people, if you know my story, that it, you can only answer it with, because of God my grandmother, you know, was very spiritual. She'd send us to church. She would never go, but, and my grandfather would go to church, you know, in in my uh, group home, uh, we went to church. And then in my new home, we went to church and it was some of the best times of my life because you know, I was an athlete in high school and the guys in the high school, all I, you know, to have competitions. So I'd bring all the athletes and we'd beat everybody. Um, but God was always with me. Um, my Christian camp that I went to, uh, that my family sent me to summer's best two weeks. And if you have kids, get them on the list. It might take you two years to get in, but what a life changing experience it was for me. I attend a local church here in orange County. Um, Eastside Christian Church, and I love that church. They've loved on me for uh, 16 years now. And so without God, you know, life is meaningless. He will deliver you in his time, but you do have to put in the work. And I've been fortunate to put in the work, and I can honestly say that I am free uh, to be able to accept the love that my family has tried to give me for all these years uh, as well as many others.
1: For those of uh, you who don't uh, know me very well or Tim very well, we've been talking as if this, this was about other people. But Tim, uh, I didn't uh, yeah. um, I, I didn't know even how to deal with this issue kind of just with us talking with who we are because Tim is my son. I knew I wouldn't be able to say that without tearing up. Um, and it's, we're, we're talking, we're talking 35 years later. This has been a life, right? Um, leave us with a favorite memory. Um, as, as you look back at the life we've had together, a, a favorite memory of, of Tim as part of the Bash family.
2: Hmm. Wow, so many. I uh, was fortunate enough to have a summer job building a church, uh, your church, in Southern Maryland, Chesapeake Presbyterian Church, and I'd get on my bike at about three in the morning to ride to school, or ride to work, and, uh, you know, before, you know, the sun came up, and we had to pour concrete, but one of the cool things that my mom, my dad, my brother and sister would show up at the job site bring me breakfast. And it wasn't just some, you know, breakfast burrito, which was very good, but I got on a plate, blueberry pancakes, fresh bacon, you know, and all the all the construction guys are looking at me like, who the heck and why is he getting all this good treatment? (laughs) Uh, Those were, those are some great memories, uh, you know, that I had when you took me to the dude ranch on my 21st birthday with a bunch of guys from church. Uh, that was a great time. While most guys at 21 were out partying, you know, I was on a dude ranch learning about horses and hanging out by a campfire. So, I think you know, watching my brother play hockey and my sister play soccer, um, and just oh, my little sister. She, you know, she's not so little anymore, but you know, she's just the apple of my eye. And uh, I think those those are some of the great memories um, that I've had. But also, my mom, you know, she is the rock of the family, mm-hmm. by far. And I, I believe your success and my success is because of the even keel uh, just love and support without judgment or questions uh, really, you know, manifested itself in my life. And, and those are some great memories that, I, that I've had.
1: I was going to ask if you wanted to give her a shout out in North Carolina as she's freezing and much missed. Um, So Tim, thanks so much for being here. Let let me just say a few words before we close. Uh, Have you ever felt underappreciated? Resentful for people not noticing your acts of kindness or efforts to improve their life or the world. If not, you're unique, when do you ever hear people talk about being over appreciated? Sure, Tom Brady can talk about the team uh after he wins a Super Bowl in Tampa, but no one really believes him. We can't relate. Getting too much credit is just not part of the way us humans perceive life, at least not very often. With that considerable qualification, let me take my stab at it anyway. I I get way too much credit for Tim Dyson. I didn't pray that God would send a broken teenager into our life as we struggled with a one and three year old. I didn't have a vision of being a foster parent or have a view of race, which drove me to want to have a multiracial family. I didn't have the wisdom or training to take on parenting a 16 year old when I was only 31 we had an extra room in our small three-bedroom house in those days. It would be a few years before the little ones needed a bedroom of their own. Going back to a neighborhood I knew was riddled with crime and drugs was not something anyone would want for a teenager making progress in life. So maybe it just happened, maybe. Or maybe before the foundation of the world A sovereign, loving God who reigns over all of history beyond our minuscule comprehension decided to use the Bash family as an expression of his grace. Maybe the God of the church allowed hundreds to come through those doors who would miss the message, knowing an unlikely teenager was going to see it. Perhaps Jesus heard the prayers of a struggling mother overwhelmed to navigate life with a workaholic pastor husband, no other family around to support her attempting to nurture an overactive infant and an ever ready toddler and laughed as he wrote the pages of life to make an unlikely match. I haven't been a very good father to Tim in his adult years. I sure didn't have any model to follow, but that's just an excuse. I'm serious, and it's Tim's fault. I'm serious, and Tim thinks it's my fault, and he's serious, and we've lived for years being serious, but now comes the and. Remember, this is church hurts and the and life. So from time to time, God comes down and starts laughing at us. And he points out that we love spending time together. We can create a party in a morgue. We're both overly sensitive and stubborn, and we have a love for one another that's deeper than most parents and children ever get to experience. One of those times when Tim was wrong and wouldn't come to Christmas, the kids arrived at my home complaining about him, having stopped to see him early on Christmas morning. I silently loved hearing them support my view of what a turkey he was, at least until my daughter blurted out, he's exactly like you. Oops, that's one backhanded compliment I rather liked. It's worth a thought. For Church Hurts Ann, this is John Bash. Go
0: and enjoy God today. Well, that was worth a thought for sure. It brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts. And next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember: Church hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?